This is the Oanda Podcast. This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda, talking to Oanda senior market analysts from across the world. Let's join Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's been a busy old time for central banks over the last 24 hours or so, Craig, and all have followed suit. The Federal Reserve, the ECB, and now the Bank of England, adding a half a percent to their current rate. No surprises there. No, there isn't. That was what the markets were expecting. But as is always the case, is the narrative that accompanies it that is important. It's worth noting there's been other central banks as well. The Philippines, the Swiss National Bank, and I think Thailand as well, uh, have all been uh, meeting over the last 24 hours and announced decisions today. So it has been a really busy day on the central bank front. But obviously, these are the three that typically do stand out. And They've all raised by 50 basis points. Now, the narratives that accompanied it were slightly different, I think. They were all cautious about the need for more rate hikes. That's the one similarity they all have. But up until this point, the Bank of England's very much pushed her back against market expectations, suggesting they shouldn't have to raise as fast or aggressively as the markets were expecting. The Fed, on the other hand, strongly suggested that the markets were too optimistic and actually raised their inflation forecasts by 50 basis points because inflation is proving a bit more stubborn. And not just necessarily the headline inflation figure, but I think the thing that Fed's more concerned about because we've had two good inflation reports now is the wages and the labour market. You can see that from the jobs report last week where we had the strong jobs growth, low unemployment and wage growth was double that what markets were expecting. Sorry, that was earlier this month. And I think that's something the Fed's concerned about, which is why we saw that more hawkish shift from them when the markets were maybe anticipating a more dovish shift because of the inflation data a day before. And then you've got the ECB, who, let's face it, were very much late to the party. They started raising rates in the middle of this year. Inflation sits around 10%. They do have issues of their own, of course, because of the war in Ukraine. Being so dependent up until this point on Russian oil and gas means that they're facing higher prices, but also potential energy shortages, despite best efforts of recent months to increase stocks of uh, natural gas. So they have big economic uh, uncertainty uh, going into 2023. And yet the ECB raised by half a percentage point to 2% and then suggested that we should expect more 50 base point rate hikes uh, going forward. So there was varying messages. And what I thought was interesting also, I guess, from the Bank of England was the fact that the vote, the vote was very much split. You had six policymakers who voted for 50 basis points. You had two policymakers who voted for no change and one policymaker who voted for 75 basis points. So that shows the great divide that now exists between uh, these various central banks. And hopefully, I think we should start to see a more clear image appear in the first quarter of the year. But what's clear right now at the end of 2022 going into 2023 is that there is no consistency. There's no certainty and that cloud of uncertainty that's existed over the markets for many months now is going to carry on into next year. So we're all going to have to be paying very close attention to the economic data to kind of fill in the gaps over the coming months. Interesting to see the different stock market reaction to these rate rises, Craig. While in the UK we see the FTSE down three quarters of a percent, in Europe, they're down 2 to 3%, as we're seeing in the US as well. Why is there a differential 
between the UK and the rest. Is that something to do perhaps with that uh, MPC split when they're suggesting that maybe the next rate rise won't be quite so high in the UK, but it'll continue in Europe and the US? Perhaps, but I think there's always other things going on when you're looking at the FTSE 100 in particular. It's such an outward-looking index, more than three-quarters, I think around even 85% of earnings are generated outside of the UK. So you can often see currency play a big role in the differentials between the FTSE 100 and the rest of Europe. And if I'm looking at the pound today, you can see that the pound is off 1.7% against the US dollar and off 1.4% against the euro. So that suggests that there's a big currency play at hand here. The MPC, I think that split is maybe deemed slightly more hawkish than it was at the previous meeting when there was a strong pushback against rate hikes. And maybe because of that expectation that we may have to see a little bit more work on the rate hike cycle, um, that's seen as more economically damaging for the UK, which up until this point uh, has been damaging for the currency. And like I said, we're seeing that very much take hold today. This obviously comes after a period of where the movement of the currency has been much more positive. So perhaps we've seen some profit taking combined with that potentially more dire economic outlook for the UK is what's hit the pound. But the benefit has come in the FTSE 100 index where, as you say, it's very much outperforming the market while still declining close to 1% on the day. And what of the oil price at the moment? We uh, have seen some rises in recent days, but a fall today, just around 1% to 1.5% for both Brent crude and WTI. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different factors that play in your market. That market bounce that we saw in Brent and WTI came at an interesting point. WTI actually fell close to $70 a barrel, and you may remember that that is the level at which President Biden previously indicated the US would start to refill the SPR, which it's drawn down on multiple times this year in order to try and take the heat out of the oil market in a market that's been very undersupplied. So I think that's potentially providing something of a support for the oil price and it therefore makes sense that we saw WTI rebound higher off those levels. But there's so many different factors at play, to be quite honest with you. We've got the fact that it came shortly after the G7 imposed price cap on Russian oil, suggestions from within Russia that they could cut output to counter uh, the moves that we saw uh, by the G7. We've also seen this China reopening process, which could be potentially fueling a little bit more gains in the oil price because it's obviously the world's largest importer of crude oil. And they've been significantly pulling back on their zero COVID policies, uh, which is interesting going into 2023 as well. It's not going to be plain sailing from here. I think that's safe to say. We all remember the process of withdrawing COVID restrictions and what that did for cases and therefore hospitalizations and the like. So given that China has had a zero COVID approach now for the last three years, you would expect that there is going to be ramifications on the back of this. It's not going to be as easy as you reopen the economy, you drop zero COVID and everything starts to return to normal and everything is uh, is working perfectly. I think there are going to be consequences for that. But the actual act of moving away from zero COVID has been beneficial for Chinese stocks and uh, and also to an extent, I think, the oil price as well. So there's so many different factors at play, I guess, is what I'm saying here. We've had a few days where it's bounced back and I think we're in a big risk off mode today, stronger dollar. And therefore, I think we've just seen oil pull back on the back of those things. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.